0: What state was technically a territory for 125 years until 2012?
1: 12, really? Okay. And what famous person lost their own drag queen celebrity lookalike contest?
0: (laughs) Well, that's a little bizarre. Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the Off Ramp A chance to slow down, steer clear of Well, maybe not crazy today (laughs) Take a side road to sanity And get some perspective on life Well, Marcia, what's this about a drag queen look-alike? Yeah, come on, guess Tell me the question again
1: Okay, what famous person Lost their own drag queen celebrity look-alike contest?
0: Was this person a drag queen themselves? No Is this a current celebrity? Yes Is it like Elton John or somebody like that? No Somebody androgynous like David Bowie? No. Okay, who was it? Dolly Parton. Oh, (laughs) tell me about this. In
1: 2013, uh, she was in Los Angeles, and she was promoting her book, Dream More. She didn't reveal who she was to the MC or anybody. She just strode across the stage as one of the contestants who were- Oh, no kidding. in the lookalike contest. And she said she got the least applause when walking across the stage- They just thought I was some little short gay guy, she said.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's sort of like Charlie Chaplin. He entered a Charlie Chaplin look-alike contest.
1: Oh, I remember that. When
0: he was younger and he lost the contest to someone else.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Little tramp. Yeah, she said she was laughing hysterically inside the whole time. When did this
0: happen? 2013. Oh, my goodness, that's so funny. Okay, Marcia, something serious now. Let's look at U.S. history, okay? What state was technically a territory, for 123 years until 2012. Is it in the contiguous states? It is in the contiguous United States. I see. On the North American continent. And it was? And it was either Alaska, North Dakota, Hawaii, or Montana.
1: Alaska isn't in the contiguous states. Then you
0: can rule that out.
1: (laughs) Okay. What were the other two choices? Hawaii. That's not in the contiguous. You can rule that out.
0: Montana or North Dakota?
1: I'll say Montana.
0: It was North Dakota. North Dakota. <laughs> yes. North Dakota didn't fit the technical requirements for statehood until 2012, and this was due to an error in its constitution. Okay. This is one of those little things historians find and then they point out and either the states change them or they don't. Uh huh. Like that place in Yellowstone yeah. where yeah, you know, we can commit a crime and get away with it. Yeah. Well, the U.S. Constitution requires executive, legislative, and judicial officers to take an oath to support the Constitution. And then state constitutions are supposed to require that too. But in the section of the North Dakota Constitution regarding oaths, the word executive was accidentally omitted. And that was first noted by historian John Rosinski in 1995, but it wasn't considered urgent. Nobody had seriously considered the state status since it joined the Union in 1889, a century earlier. Even so, North Dakota Senator Tim Mathern felt the issue was important. He introduced an amendment which corrected the oversight and the bill passed after the 2012 election. When it did, Time Magazine declared, Welcome to the Union again, North <laughs> Dakota. <laughs> okay. Well, we were in the car the other day, and the word
1: fuss budget came up, and we both laughed. Oh, yes. Said what a silly word it was, you fuss
0: budget. And you then know. I challenge you to find out what it was.
1: Yeah, well, it actually has been around since the 1700s. Nobody has the exact source, but it started appearing in literature, and then it kind of disappeared. Maybe on-
0: some folks listening don't know what fuss budget means. It's usually somebody who is very picky or persnickety that's or right. difficult. Uh,
1: it, they're overly fussy, needlessly fault-finding.
0: Like your family. Oh, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's, okay.
1: It's a good thing they don't listen to this show.
0: <laughs> well, that's one of the reasons I... <laughs> ridicule them
1: (laughs) (laughs) okay that's what it means needlessly fault-finding anyway so it was around the 1700s but it really wasn't around until the 1960s and then it kind of got into the lexicon you know why
0: why it became popular in the 1960s some pop culture thing was it it
1: became associated with a cartoon character
0: was that somebody in Peanuts, maybe? Oh, what made you say that? Well, I don't know. I just thought that was the one that seemed to catch the eye of most people. And
1: who was a fuss budget in Peanuts?
0: Uh, Lucy? No, That's no. It.
1: That's Lucy it. or? Lucy Van Pelt. Yeah, she was Charlie Brown's nemesis and always finding fault with him and always picking at him, picking, picking, picking.
0: <laughs> so budget. she was referred to as a fuss budget. Yeah. Wow, and that's the first time that thing had been used in a it, long time. It just
1: became part of the uh, lexicon then.
0: Okay, well, that's a good one. That's the fuss budget. I've got some uh, more word origins. Would you like to know these? These yeah. are, uh, again, things that are named after places. Turquoise. Yes. Not your favorite color. No, but it looks hate good that. on me. Yeah, yeah, it does look good I on knew. you. Okay. Where did it get its name then? From the tortoise. No. From the Turks. Actually, it did get its name from Turks. Did really? so, Yes. So I'll give you that. It was originally mined in Persia, which is Iran, but it got its name from the French word for the Turkish merchants who first sold it in Europe. Turkeys, the birds, they got their name for the same reason, from the Turks, from Turkey. So turquoise was named after Turkish merchants who okay. sold that precious oh, stone. Okay, jalapenos. Jalapenos. What about it? Well, tell me where they come from. From, uh, obviously from a place in France. No, no, (laughs) (laughs) from Jalapeno, Mexico. Actually, it is from a town of Zalapa or Jalapa, J A L A P A. That's where they come from. In Mexico, they're known as Chile Gordo, but to the rest of the world, Jalapenos. Jalapenos. They got their name from the town.
1: Okay. Bob, is the United States the only country that celebrates Thanksgiving?
0: No, it isn't. Uh, I think multiple countries celebrate Thanksgiving. I think. Canada was the first to celebrate Thanksgiving in North America, believe it or not.
1: Yeah. Yes, 17 countries uh, celebrate some form of Thanksgiving, and the most similar to our traditions is Canada. Their day of celebration is on the second Monday of October. And why, you ask? Because their harvest comes earlier because they're farther north, Okay. which makes sense. They actually have the big dinner on Sunday, preceding the Monday. They don't get off on Monday, oh, so they have their. They have
0: to go to work with those big bellies. That's <laughs> <laughs> swollen bellies full of turkey. Still, well, maybe it's not tr- turkey there. Still it's...
1: trying to get rid of our dessert from Thanksgiving. Oh aren't we?
0: dear, we had that. It's funny, Marcia and I rarely get dessert, and so here. Somebody said, well, here, you want some pie? And so, sure, how we, about some ice cream on it?
1: Well, we said, we'll save some calories and we'll split a piece. We'll
0: split a piece. And they so they gave us a huge piece. <laughs> was with was about tons. four pieces. So as soon as we got it, we went, oh, my God, <laughs> we can't eat all of that. Well. We did. Snarfed okay. it up like little kids. <laughs> it was so good.
1: <laughs> it was so good. Apple. Apple rhubarb. Apple rhubarb pie in a brown paper bag. It was fabulous. Well,
0: we didn't eat it out of the brown paper bag, no, but Marsh. it was.
1: Baked in a Yeah, bag. okay. Okay.
0: Okay, Marsh. You've heard of the Incas, one of the great civilizations have, of South America. And I have
1: that in my pen, too.
0: What? Inca. Yeah, that's different. Oh. Okay, okay the Incas, I-N-C-A-S. Mm-hmm. What is the Inca Paradox? The Inca Paradox. This is something that historians call the Inca Paradox. Something about that civilization. Any idea? It's not about two physicians, the paradox. Uh, oh, <laughs> God, that was
1: so bad it went past me. All right. All right. Uh, I've thought more of you than that. Let's see. They go back. The Incas, they were quite a civilization.
0: They built a huge, huge system of roads in the Americas.
1: I have no idea.
0: The Inca paradox is the fact that the Inca, a technologically sophisticated culture, the most powerful empire in South America, they're considered the only major Bronze Age civilization that failed to develop a system of writing.
1: Oh, really? Did yeah. they have hieroglyphics?
0: They had a system of knotted cords to record information. Why oh, you read that? Like an yes. abacus. Yeah. They would do that to send information across their empire. Yeah. Send people ropes with knots. And that is called the Inca paradox. The fact that they did not develop a system of writing like we do it. Yeah. However, today some experts consider the knotted cords to be three dimensional writing. Oh. So it's just look at it in a different, different way. way. Yeah, I can't judge everything by the way we came about, you yeah. know?
1: Yeah. Oh. All right, Bob, what is the X in LAX?
0: You know, the X's meant nothing. There was no meaning to those X's in those airport names. They went from two-character names to, I think, three-character names. But
1: there was a reason for
0: it. Okay, tell me.
1: Okay, here's how the X's came about. It used to be that airports used two-letter codes from the National Weather Service. Mm. Everybody had two letters. But as air travel grew, it soon became apparent two letters wasn't enough. And in all its wisdom, the International Air Transportation Association declared three-letter codes for everybody. And if it didn't work out, they just slapped an X on the end oh, of it Los Angeles. Make, made or, it easier
0: because yeah. people were yeah. familiar with the other ones, L.A. And it, yeah. yeah,
1: and it looks cool. LAX, Los Angeles Airport. PDX, we've gone there a lot too. Portland. That's right. Phoenix makes sense, PHX. Mm -hmm. So does Sioux City Gateway Airport. Well, some of
0: those became sucks or sex. Yeah, Yeah.
1: S-U-X, sucks. That's right. (laughs) Yeah, Sioux City Gateway Airport. Tried to get rid of it, and then they thought, no, it's funny. It was uh, kind of a joke, and uh, after a while, they decided it was a good joke. So now they got all this sucks, you know, (laughs) merchandise out there.
0: Uh, And, you know, I always thought the X symbolized runways, two runways crossing one another.
1: Oh, that's clever. I wouldn't have thought of that.
0: Well, thank you. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Marsh, I have an interesting fact. This is just to show you that vaudeville was big stuff at the turn of the 20th century. Do you have any idea what some of the great vaudeville teams were making in 1905, Per week? Well, no. The team of <laughs> Weber and Fields in 1905 made four thousand dollars a week. 1905. 1905 before income tax and everything. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Nobody was making money like that. Yeah. In regular work.
1: How much did it cost to go into a vaudeville show? Probably a penny pennies? or a nickel.
0: I'm sure it was just pennies. You yeah. know. Yeah.
1: So that's a lot of pennies to get $4,000.
0: Speaking of that, back in 1863, when I.M. Singer and Edward Clark incorporated their Singer Manufacturing Company to sell the Singer sewing machine, how much did the average family make? What year? In 1863. This is the average American family in 1863. This is during the Civil War
1: $300.
0: $500. Okay. Only 500 a year, but, you know, it was worth a lot more back then. And the first singers sold for $100. Oh,
1: wow. 500 was the average. Yeah, it would be so like
0: 20% of your yeah, income totally to, to buy up. one of these machines. That was a lot of money for a family to invest. But Clark came up with an idea, a $5 per month installment mm-hmm. plan, and that's what persuaded customers that, that to buy. That was the
1: beginning of the installment plan?
0: That was one of the beginnings, that's, yeah. That was the first big expensive device mm-hmm. to go into homes. Uh-huh. Actually, yeah. clocks were done that way, too. Eli Terry came up with a plan for that in the 1840s for the clocks he was making. Okay. Okay, I have a question for you. Now, we know where the coldest and the hottest and the driest and the wettest places on Earth are. We've had these questions before. Uh-huh. But what's the coldest inhabited place in the world well, where people actually we'll live? actually
1: live in Siberia.
0: That is true. But what? it's not the answer? No, that's the, it's true. It's called, it's the village of... Omyakon, Omyakon.
1: So I'm right, and you didn't even give me a edible. You're right!
0: That's right, yeah. <laughs> okay. It may be the coldest inhabited town on Earth, but it's it's got 500 hardy souls that live there. What do they do for a living? Well, I don't know. No hotels, despite an increase in tourism. So really? <laughs> visitors are welcome to stay in local homes. Oh, I'll
1: bet they are. But yeah.
0: the sub-Arctic backdrop is scenic and otherworldly. How cold is it? Winter temperatures often hover around 45 below zero Fahrenheit. Oh,
1: dear God. All right. You know, we talked about the oldest continuously running airport in the world and what that was.
0: That was in, uh, let's see, is it Connecticut or upstate New York? That was the Wright Brothers Field. It was
1: the Wright Brothers College Park Airport in College Park, Maryland.
0: It's over 100 years old. In
1: 1909.
0: Yeah, so it's been used all this time.
1: But today's question is... What is the world's oldest continuously operating commercial airport? Because that's not a commercial airport. That's oh, that's
0: right. That was the Army took that over, didn't it? Yeah, they?
1: military officers got hold of that one. But where do you think this other one was established in 1911? You have any idea?
0: Okay, I'm going to give you a couple of guesses. Okay. One is St. Louis because uh, back in the 20s. This that's, is in the world. That's where Lindbergh, that was one of the places he took off from, either there in Kansas City. Um I would say it's in London. I'd say it's in London somewhere. Or Paris, maybe. It's Paris, Le Bourget Field.
1: No, you like this answer. It was Hamburg Airport. Why, Bob? Because of the Zeppelins. Oh. They needed a place to land. They were taking off the airships in the 1890s and everything, and they, they thought this was the future of air travel. Wow, I
0: didn't know they were doing that in the 1890s.
1: Yep, that's when it started, and so in nineteen. 19- 10 1911 is when it was uh, finished. Uh, they built the Hamburg Airport, and that's been running ever since. Uh, the airport broke the one million passenger mark in 1961.
0: Wow. All right. All right, well, let's take a break now. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob. And me, Marcia Smith. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be back in just a moment. Okay, you're back, and we're with The Off-Ramp for the Cedarburg Public Library, Bob and Marcia Smith. Marcia, I have a couple more of these items that I'm going to give you what they are, and you tell me what they were named for. Okie doke. Shetland ponies. They were named for where they came from, Shetland, England. Well, you're close. I'll give this to you. Oh, thank you, sweetheart. The British Isles. Uh, The Shetland ponies, they're small ponies. They're native to the Shetland Islands, located northeast of mainland Scotland. Their stocky build made them perfect for the harsh climate of the subarctic islands. Mm. Subarctic, really. Where, yeah, mm. where their ancestors have uh, kept and bred them since the Bronze Age. Jeez. That's a long time ago.
1: Huh. Okay, Bob, what is the deepest canyon in the United States?
0: Okay, it's not the Grand Canyon. No, it's not. Although that is deep. It is deep. It is, let's see, what is it? It's in Utah, I believe, isn't it? Nope. Not Snake River Canyon in Idaho. It's
1: Hell's Canyon in Oregon and Idaho. Okay, all right. So it exceeds the depth of the Grand Canyon by plunging nearly 8,000 feet in some places. And the Grand Canyon is 4,000. So it's twice the depth. uh, 8,000 feet? In some places, That's like a mile and a half. I don't know. It's amazing. It is deep, yeah. Wow. I'm trying to think, have we ever seen it?
0: Not that one. We were certainly uh, near some pretty rough territory between uh, the Grand Tetons and Idaho when you come out of the Grand Tetons and decide to head up on the west side of Yellowstone. That's very rough. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Whoa, take a picture of this, I remember telling you when we were going downhill. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Okay, Marsha, another item, and what is it named for? The Tuxedo. The Tuxedo. What's it named for? It is named for... um, (laughs) Tuxedo. Named for something. Tuxedo Junction. No Isn't that a song? This was a formal dinner jacket that King Edward VII wore, but the name is American When an American friend of the Prince of Wales wore the new style to the Tuxedo Park Club in New York City oh, the on oh, the Tuxedo caught on.
1: Club, of course Yeah I remember reading about that The
0: style caught on among the members there and the jacket became the tuxedo Okay All right, Sherry Sherry? Not your best friend <laughs> Sherry the fortified wine. What's it named for?
1: Ah, uh, well, I don't know. I don't like it.
0: Oh, doesn't matter if you like it or not, Marcia.
1: So I never thought about its origin. What's it named for,
0: Bob? It's named for the Anglican version of the town of origin, X-E-R-E-S, Sherry, Spain. But anglicizing it, they made it sound like sherry. Okay. Like champagne, sherry is a protected, designated of origin product, and only wine from that area of Spain can be labeled sherry in Europe. Is
1: that right here, too? Yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. The day after Thanksgiving is often
0: referred to as Black Friday. Why? Oh, I know this. I had this question, too. You did? Yes. What's the answer? Black Friday, the Philadelphia Police Department. No. Yeah
1: Well we had different answers then
0: All right Do you want me to tell you What the answer is My answer And you tell me your answer Okay My question to you Is going to be What do police have to do With Black Friday I don't know Well, originally, the expression was coined by police, not business people. In the early 1960s, Philadelphia police began calling the day after Thanksgiving Black Friday because there was always an influx of holiday visitors, and that meant police officers had to work longer shifts to handle all the congestion. So Black Friday meant a bad thing, like we are got to work a long day. Oh, That's my answer. That came from Britannica, so that's a good source. Yes, it is. What's yours?
1: This source is the November 1951 issue of that page-turning magazine, Factory Management and Maintenance. (laughs)
0: I remember reading that Uh, as a child.
1: In it, a writer hyperbolically describes the day as, quote, a disease second only to the bubonic plague and its effects. Because so many people called in sick the day after Thanksgiving, either hungover or overstuffed, So uh, it became Black Friday, referring like to the Black Death in that article. And ever since then, that's why they call it Black Friday. And I like my answer better than yours. Wow,
0: well, either one is interesting. They're both interesting because neither one refers to shopping.
1: Yeah, we always think of it as... uh, We made
0: our money on that day. Yeah, that's the
1: common belief. But I like mine more because also it goes back farther.
0: Yours goes back to the 50s, mine's to the 60s. So, Yeah. yeah, maybe there's another explanation somebody might have. Okay. All right, Marcia, who was the only person to win the Nobel Peace Prize and the Congressional Medal of Honor? Holy camoly. The only person to win the Nobel Peace Prize and the Congressional Medal of Honor. I do have a hint. Okay. It was a president of the United States.
1: All righty.
0: The only person. No, not that Roosevelt. Teddy. It was Teddy Roosevelt. Yeah, hard to believe, huh? Yeah. Yeah, he was given the Nobel Peace Prize for negotiating a war between Japan and Russia, credited with, uh, you know, mediating the dispute. Okay. And then, of course, he later became the youngest elected president of the United States. He won the Congressional Medal of Honor, too. He's an amazing person to get all this stuff, you know?
1: Yeah, he was no dolt, that's for sure.
0: No dolt? No.
1: no. Okay. Okay, Bob, speaking of presidents... Whose face was on the hundred thousand dollar bill?
0: Oh <laughs> was that Grant? No. whose face is on the one hundred thousand dollar bill? Is that somebody we would expect to see on something like that? it wasn't uh, no. I wasn't uh, Hamilton or somebody like that. Was no. it a president?
1: Yeah. Well, wow, I don't know. You haven't ever seen a $100,000 bill? No, I bill? haven't. That, Acqu- I came
0: close to one once. At, but- according
1: to this, the $100,000 bill is Woodrow Wilson.
0: Oh. It's a note
1: which featured his picture, and it was never issued for public use or circulated into the general economy.
0: It's used by banks.
1: The gold certificate was created at the height of the Great Depression. By the Federal Reserve Banks to make transactions with one another, hmm. so there are only forty-two thousand made, and they can't be held by collectors due to legal reasons. Wow! But institutions like the Smithsonian and the Museum of American Finance—I know you want to go—are <laughs> allowed to exhibit them. So they are on exhibit a couple places, and there you have it,
0: Marcia. I have an interesting one uh, that deals with language. Okay. What's the name of the dot in the letter I and a small j? You know, both of those yeah. have a little dot yeah. over them. What's uh-huh. the name of that uh, thing, that it, dot? It
1: is called the polka.
0: No, it's not called the polka, Marcia. Polka dot. No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> We had that question earlier.
1: Okay. No, I don't know.
0: It's the tittle. You've heard of jo- <laughs> the and tittles? Yes. Well, Many other languages use a variety of accent marks above letters, but English only has a few, a couple of letters that utilize a dot. And the term tittle has been used for a long time. It first appeared in the 11th century Latin manuscripts, and it shares the same root as title. Perhaps because both items appear above the top of things.
1: Oh, tittle, tittle. So now
0: you'll remember it that way. Remember that tittle? little dot above yeah. an I or a J. That's a tittle. A
1: tittle. Yes. It's a fun word to say too. <laughs> okay, Bob. Neptune.
0: Neptune. Okay.
1: It's an intriguing little planet. Uh huh. Actually, it's not so little. It's four times wider than Earth. Four times wider. Yeah. Okay. It was discovered in 1846. My question is. How many orbits around the sun has it had since its discovery in
0: 1846? Oh, I think it takes like 200 years to go around the sun, doesn't it? 230 years? For Neptune? Yeah. That's crazy. It's 165. 165 (laughs) years to go around the sun.
1: Yeah, one Neptunian is equal to 165 Earth years because it's so far away from the sun, it takes longer to orbit. In 1989, when Voyager 2 visited Neptune, it filmed a small, irregular white triangle that zips around Neptune's surface every 16 hours or so. It just, this little, I looked at it, it's just a white triangle thing that goes around. They gave this white light the name, the scooter.
0: The scooter. Yeah,
1: and still nobody knows what it is or what causes it. But if you look at Neptune there, you'll see scooter. Scooting so, around the planet. So
0: there are scooters on Neptune. Now we know the answer. <laughs> All right, Marsha, another word question. Back in the day, why would you not want to be called nice? She's a nice girl. You're a nice person. <sighs> you never That's had a nice problem with me, did you? <laughs> you are a nice girl, Marsha.
1: <laughs> okay. Um w- why wouldn't you want to be called nice?
0: Yes. Why not?
1: Obviously, it meant something like the opposite.
0: Yes, yeah, something bad. Bad. Sad.
1: A lady of the, the night. No, no, not at all. Okay. Today's
0: word for nice comes from the Latin word "nescius," which means ignorant. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, That makes sense to me. It's almost like uh, you're on Neptune. Give me a day to think about that. And 165 (laughs) years later, you come back with it. (laughs) Call somebody nice because you think they're stupid. (laughs) Not stupid, just uninformed. All All right. And what fruit is named after the word for a scary mask? I found this out on Britannica the other day. It's funny. There's a fruit. It's named after the word for a scary mask to scare children. The ugly fruit? No, it's not an ugly fruit. It's called ugly fruit, no? no? it's not called an ugly fruit, Marcia. What fruit is named after the word for a scary mask? Um, don't know. Coconuts. I, okay. Coconuts. They have those three round spots. They resemble yeah, a face. that's true. Coconuts were named for coco, a Spanish-Portuguese word for a mask used to frighten children. Oh, okay. A coconut, because <sighs> it looks like the mask. <laughs> I'm going to
1: finish up with my question okay the most common video game character is who
0: most common yeah you mean the one that everybody remembers yeah Mario Super Mario that's
1: right Mario the plumber okay he appeared in almost 240 distinct video game titles since his introduction in 1985 I had no idea I thought there was only a couple that he was in no there's 285 wow Nintendo I think they're all Nintendo yeah so here's the question what's Mario's full name
0: Wow, Mario's full name.
1: He and Luigi, I assume, have the Mario same last name. Mario
0: Nintendo Sovinsky. <laughs> no, I don't know what his full name is.
1: Who knew? It's Mario Mario. Oh. There you go. Take that to the bank.
0: That's a bad one to end the show on. It's kind of stupid. It is stupid. Mario Mario. Why would
1: you name him Mario Mario?
0: Maybe you'll think this is stupid too. (laughs) What letter was once represented by two symbols of another letter? Now think about this. What letter that we use was once represented by two symbols for another letter. Uh, Originally that's what it looked like. It's changed its shape. I don't know. The H. No, the k. No, the w. That's the reason it's pronounced w. That's oh, what because it because it was it was originally two u's next to each other. Oh. The Latin alphabet had no symbol to represent the w sound. Uh-huh. So, Old English writing utilized two u's for the sound, and in the 11th century, the symbol that we know today, which looks like two v's together, was yeah. born. But for years it was two Dude. u's. W. Oh.
1: Now, that I find very intriguing.
0: Thank you very much, Marsh. (laughs) And to wrap things up, Marsha, I've got a quote. One of those famous last words. Uh Uh-huh. When Groucho Marx was dying, he let out one last quip. Okay. This is no way to live. And with that, we wrap up the show today (laughs) on The Off-Ramp. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. Join us again next time when we return with more fascinating facts and tantalizing trivia here on The Off-Ramp. The The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.